Hello there. We're trying to keep Coral Chihuahua going, and so we draw your attention to the possibility of listening to us on Patreon for just a few quid a month. This also magically gets rid of the ads. That's Patreon with an E, patreon.com forward slash Coral Chihuahua. On with the app. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. It's time for Coral Chihuahua. <laughs> Today is something a little different. Robert's not here. But I'm delighted to be joined by our great friend and colleague, the tenor Nicholas Mulroy. Hello, Nick. Hi, Eamon. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Very nice to be here. You've invited me to Mulroy Towers. So here we are, sat by your, your piano uh, in your front room. And we're going to be talking about Bach and specifically his two passions. That's right. The two surviving versions of the passion narrative that, um, that we have, the St. John and the St. Matthew, hoping to talk a little bit around the ideas that are contained in there. There's an awful lot to discuss, but we'll we'll try and scratch the surface a bit. Yeah, bring your uh, long experience and our, our mutual love and uh, enthusiasm for these works. And for the examples that we're going to be playing, we're going to be using recordings that uh, that we both feature on to a greater or lesser degree. That's right. The, the, the John and the Matthew both recorded by um, Dunedin with John Butt. Uh, and yours is a particular a version f- from your student connection yeah indeed uh so the, the recording of the john passion made by edward higginbottom and the choir of new college oxford interestingly uh this was a recording where all the vocal parts were sung by either present or former members of the choir so that's with boys on the top line and interestingly uh, a treble uh soloist singing what you know what would traditionally be the soprano arias but with with fairly large scale choral forces as opposed to Dunedin's, which was that's small right. scale. We just do both both pieces with just eight singers, which is just a different a different way of doing it, really. Let's get straight into it with the opening chorus of the St John. Thank you. 
the unmistakable opening to Bach's St. John Passion, performed there by the Dunedin Consort, directed by John Butt. Nick, my first experience of Bach was the St. John Passion. I mean, pretty much. I once played second flute in the second orchestra in a performance of the St. Matthew Passion in Bromley when I was about 16. But other than that, uh, it was doing the St. John Passion uh, with Edward Higginbottom. How's this for uh, entitled luxury on an Australia tour? Um, two weeks uh, away with the Australian Chamber Orchestra uh, in 1994. And that was where I, you know, that was when I learned the piece was the first time doing the St. John Passion in Sydney Opera House. Amazing. What a time, what, what a, what, you know, what a thing to be part of. Eh? It was extraordinary. I can still see the upbeat that Edward Higginbottom gave uh, for that first performance. It was like it went through his entire body. Um, it was one of the most inspirational things I'd ever seen, you know, not to sound too... Uh, too uh, uh, precious about it but that I mean that opening chorus has got such drive such it it foreshadows everything that's going to come uh, in in the whole of the next two hours isn't it yeah exactly it's an incredibly dramatic kind of arresting thing to hear isn't it you wonder what they might have made of it in 1725 or whenever it was that that version was first performed Word seems to be that they didn't really like it. They thought it was too dramatic and too operatic and a little bit outside the frame of of what church music should be. Well, you can see where they're coming from with yeah. that. Uh, and that performance by the Dunedins there, I mean, that kind of grabs you by the collar, doesn't it? Yeah, so we recorded it, um, it's actually, I think, 10 years ago now, and John put it in the context of um, the liturgy of the time, you know, as as, as kind of close to that as as we could make it on the disc it comes out of a Buxtehude organ prelude which finishes on D major so it's this kind of ginormous perfect cadence into the G minor beginning of the of the piece Um, so it's in context but also kind of you therefore feel the kind of drama ratcheted up straight away by by the presence of this music yeah it's quite a quite a thing let's just have a listen to a slightly different approach i mentioned edward higginbottom there um this is a recording uh which he made oh gosh uh i mean over 20 years ago now i think uh or probably yeah maybe about 20 years ago um a different approach something which is more brooding uh a bit more sort of coming from a distance uh like a foreshadowing if i'm going to use that word already but but it is a it's 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 less immediately present and less immediately dramatic.
Edward Higginbottom there directing a recording with the choir of New College Oxford. And a greater focus like on the oboes there, they're more to the fore. Yeah, it's the that spacious tempo allows more kind of wailing in the oboes. It feels like the, those incredible dissonances feel much more um, painful somehow. It's the, we never know what things mean, of course, but there's one... You know, those those semitones between the woodwind could be the nails and the cross, kind of as you say, foreshadowed. Yeah, that's exactly what he used to describe them as. Um, six, six, yeah. Achievement unlocked. Yeah, but there's, there's, <laughs> there's this. Uh, there's a. I mean, there's a. There's a lyrical quality to it, but an expressive quality that that really speaks of the of the narrative that's to come. Yeah, that's true, isn't it? it that I, I wouldn't. Nothing's right or wrong. It feels like there's lots of ways you could do. You know, such fabulous music, but it just allows a bit more space to hear that extraordinary harmony, the swirling of the strings, um, the kind of insistence of the bass pedal is really, really nice. John's version, the Dunedin one, is much more kind of between the eyes, kind of inexorable, which is part of the uh, construction of the piece. Really, this kind of this sense that this is something that is preordained. Um, but they both, I think, both versions play into this slightly unexpected side of the of the music which is that the text is if we read the text on its own it's it's a it's praise and glory and it's kind of d major trumpets and drums like uh christmas oratorio contrast that with the music that he sets it sets it to and you've got a sense that this what's the hair on the lord our master um all our ruler um so the the words are glorious but the music is full of suffering and it's it's through the suffering that jesus attains kind of divinity in in Joe and I in gospel. Let's just rewind a little bit here. So we're going to be talking about the passions today. In a nutshell, what are they? What we're talking about today is Bach's two surviving settings of uh, the narrative of Christ's uh, trial, suffering and death. Um, it's, I think it's, in, in lots of ways, it, it feels like the most important music Bach wrote. Um, certainly it belongs to a long tradition of singing the Passion narrative on Palm Sunday and Good Friday in the church. And what Bach is able to do is develop that tradition into something really, really way beyond where it had been even even 20 years previous to that. Yeah, and the tradition of singing the Passion, the passion narrative, uh, you know, it comes from originally a sort of you know, with plain song settings, with, you know, those occasional uh, sort of torba choruses, which uh, is done in simple hom- homophonic settings. And uh, I mean, I can remember, you know, being in church choirs in years gone by and singing, you know, singing those settings. Uh, one memorable occasion when uh, the priest, with the, the roles, you know, the characters within the story of, of Pilate and, and Christ and various others sung by various members of the clergy. And the surprise uh, which was levelled at the choir when, when Pilate was intoned uh, in a rather sweet sort of fluty countertenor. Uh, by one of the priests, uh, finishing with the immortal phrase of "quad scripsy scripsy," quad scripsy scripsy, which still rings in my mind. Yeah. Uh, you know, every see that every, would be memorable every, every year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, so the the people like Bird and uh, Lassus and Victoria set the passion mostly to plain song, like you say, with uh, uh, what's it, homophonic, harmonic interjections from the crowd. Um, and so we have this sense that, that, that this is a story that belongs to singing and also different levels of singing in every sense happen according to which character is speaking, which I think is something that Bach again really keys into. Tied together in the role of the evangelist who narrates the story. Um, and 
Bach gives this, I mean, you know, by comparison, it's it seems a very big step to move, you know, from Schutz to the degree of colour and and drama that, that Bach gives to the you know to the evangelists alone, never mind what comes, you know, in the choruses as well. I think that's right. He's able to um kind of adopt or co opt um operatic conventions. So when when a musician in the eighteenth century would have seen the word recit, they would have associated that, I think, with the with the theatre. So like you say, it's much more dramatic. For me as as someone who comes to that role to sing it, the evangelist is much more a real character. There's much there's much less humanity or subjectivity in in plain song, whereas the the music Bach sets is very uh, harmonically daring. It's very angular. It's very human in that sense, um, and so you, you're asked to do to do kind of several jobs. Really, you tell a story, but there's also poetry and there's also um, you know fabulous musical content in there, which I think it's really worth kind of digging into a bit. Co-pilot today, Nicholas Mulroy. No, you don't like co-pilot. Well, pilot comes in later. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My co-pilot today, Nicholas Mulroy, tenor as the evangelist, uh, with uh, Peter, sung by Robert Davis, and tenor Stephen Chambers, singing service on the Dunedin Consort recording. Nick, that really exemplifies there the the role of the of the evangelist, as you said, that both progressing the narrative, but then also singing, um, you know, presenting the poetry of the text as well and the way Bach paints it. That's it, exactly right. He, It's where he chooses to kind of foreground music, I suppose, as a subject of meaning and a place where um, the listener can understand not just the narrative but also the perhaps the emotion or the psychology behind the narrative. Um, there's an awful lot in that, in, just in that short space of um, of time, that the baseline underneath the Peter weeping bitterly after he realizes he's betrayed um, Christ. The baseline then becomes the material for the crowd scene in the next scene when they shout to Pilate, "If this man weren't an evildoer, we would put him to death." This chromatic, yeah, ba 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 ba, that becomes then the thing that puts Jesus to death. So we have this sense of kind of, I suppose, causality, cause and effect, um, made explicit in the music, although 
you know, listeners might not have got that immediately, perhaps. These works are littered with these kind of associations, aren't there? And I don't know, maybe this isn't the time to go into that in, in too much in too much detail. But the complexity and invention of thought that that clearly went into this, you know, is mind bending, isn't it? It's amazing. I mean, it, it, we think of Bach as a as a as a mind first and foremost, and I think in some ways that's not totally representative of what his music does because I find. The more I f- know the music, the more heart and soul and and humanity there is in it, and even compassion. Um, but at the same time, the kind of the mathematics of it are incredible. Um, the way he threads musical ideas through both of these pieces um, to make kind of psychological links is is really um, important. I think we could talk a lot about people want to talk about numerology quite a lot in this kind of stuff. I think that's of limited interest to. To a listener, I think as as a as a as a living experience, um, other than to say that the meaning that meaning and that way that he inserts meaning into the piece um, is only part of the strand of meaning. That he's what he's really good at is making the music incredibly full of meaning of all possible kind of interpretations that add layer on layer of meaning and of um, associations to the story, which of course would have been incredibly familiar to the congregation exactly that so we've got very familiar texts although with new music and in the arias new words and intended specifically to bring this this very familiar story and to be to give the congregations the listeners the opportunity to reflect anew on a story that that is overwhelmingly familiar to them that's it it's so important to to recognize that this is a story they would have known i think the, the congregation would have known so well and so the points in both pieces where Bach sort of presses pause, if you like, and says, here's what we're thinking about today, um, do, do I think a few things. They, they firstly allow us to consider a particular element of the story because the, the story is so full of possible angles and possible meanings. So we, we can consider a particular element. And of course, that Bach is responding to the material of the gospel in that way. So he's the things that receive reflection and consideration and meditation in the John Passion are very different to the ones that receive that same treatment in the Matthew. Um, we'll perhaps come to that, the differences later. But the other thing is that it allows music to do what Martin Luther said it could do, which was foster a connection with God, but also a connection among the faithful congregation and among the community, which one imagines was a really important part of uh, the propagation of, of the religion. You said earlier that you know, the reaction to this piece when it was first heard was probably not an overwhelmingly uh, positive one. That it was that it was too much. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be there at that first performance? I sometimes wonder whether it would have been, oh my god, listen to that, or whether they would have just not really been listening, like lots of congregations yeah. <laughs> in the world over. But I don't know. I know it's. I don't think we can know really. But certainly, it, for those with ears who would hear it, it it must have been so striking you compare the john particularly um it's as a whole particularly it's it's so dramatic and so propulsive um even the musical structure with this the central chorale which fans out choruses like a palindrome um gives us the sense of christ's fate being inevitable and the music adds to the inexorability of the story which doesn't happen at all in the matthew there's much more um it's much more slowly unfolding and it feels like a much actually more natural progression of events. Um, but yeah, the violence of the choruses um, and some of the arias in the, in the John, uh, it, it really goes beyond, way beyond what, what was happening 
in the early part of the 18th century in Germany.
is Claire Wilkinson and the Dunedin Consort with Simon Jones playing the obbligato violin in Erbarmadich from the Matthew Passion. Familiar story, yes, and then these moments, extended moments of contemplation and reflection and instruction, if you like, uh, in the arias. Exactly right. Bach is really interested in what music can do in this way. I think he wants to, he wants it to teach people to persuade people to um lead people perhaps to fruitful reflection contemplation john but says a great thing about the difference between bach uh, oratorios and handel operas is that when you watch a handel opera your your um attention is drawn to the stage and to see what the characters on stage are doing when you listen to a bach passion the main action that happens is actually in the heart and mind of the listener which I think is a really, really valuable way of approaching this um, things of approaching this repertoire. Um, it's it's meant to change people. You're supposed to emerge from a passion, I think, slightly different to the person you went in as, which I think is really valuable. Um, just one, like slightly, can I make a geeky point about the construction of that of that aria? Let's be honest. This is a niche podcast. <laughs> exactly. So well, here's some niche material coming up. So it's in twelve eight time signature, which is the same time signature as the opening chorus and the same time signature as the uh, final aria, Machidich. This is the aria that we've just heard. The, yeah, Abamadich. Yeah. Yes. So, um, which is the Siciliano, the pastoral uh, meter, which probably refers to the Lamb of God that me- gets mentioned in the first. Um, chorus of the of the of the whole piece um so there's a kind of metrical thread running through it and the baseline of uh this aria is the same as the what we what we now call a passion chorale so bum 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 he he constructs the baseline from that so already you've got this sense that he's not really finding new material but he's just using what's around him he's so capable of 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 taking things and constructing something incredibly sublime really but from things that are already there. I love it. It's good, isn't it? <laughs> I remember when you first pointed that out to me, actually. It's a sort of jaw-dropping moment. It's like, how have I never seen that? Yeah, it's, it's like sort of hiding in plain sight, but it's there. It's, it rem- always reminds me of that thing that Michelangelo said about, about David. You know, someone said, this amazing sculpture you've made. I said, I didn't make the sculpture. David was in there, I just found him. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I read somewhere recently that, that Lutherans were taught that they had to read the Bible and meditate and reflect on it, and then pray, and and I, th- I think that's that's an interesting process, and that's that. 
I mean, that is is that the the nub of the, of what the passions are about, really? I think so. It's about it's about yeah, exactly that about being closer to God. I think for them, but also being closer to one's own self and one's own um, feeling of um, of faith and, and of, of love for God. I think. I think, and and the music really, particularly in the Saint Matthew, I think really allows time for that, which the the John always feels to me. Whenever I sing it, I'm always, this sounds really um, silly, really, but whenever I sing the St. John, I always find myself a bit surprised that he's on the cross already. Yeah. Because <laughs> everything happens so quickly and so kind of um, at a, this kind of heightened uh, heightened sense of drama and reality. Um, whereas the Matthew allows so much more time for reflection. I think that's really interesting. I mean, the, the chorus is, uh, the pace of the drama is, is electric in the John. The chorus is there. In, they're vicious in their in their condemnation. It's a it's a ferocious role that the that the crowd have there, um, absolutely central to the narrative and part of the action. And there's there's almost no time for <laughs> no time for niceties. Just listen to this as we head back to the St John Passion for a moment. End of a chorale and then a crunching gear change straight back into the drama. Es war aber der Rüster 
im Oster um die sechste Stunde und er spricht zu den Juden. Seht, das ist euer König. Sie schrien James Gilchrist evangelising there with the choir of New College Oxford and Collegium Novum, directed by Edward Higginbottom. Nick, you, you mentioned the central chorale. That, that's the central chorale in the, in the John Passion. That's right, and it acts as a sort of musical mirror um, whereby the next chorus and the previous chorus to it are the same music, and the following chorus and the previous one to that are also made of the same music. Um, the text of the chorale might be worth reflecting on a bit um durch dein gefängnis gottes und through your imprisonment son of god is how we attain our freedom um and the final line which is so beautifully set and really uh, wonderful to sing um den gingst du nicht die knechtschaft ein if you had not gone through slavery our slavery must have been eternal so there's this wonderful sense that the the meaning of the text also has a, a real sense of musical importance and musical foundation to the piece. We haven't really mentioned the chorales yet, which are the you know the the building blocks, the pillars uh, which run th- run through the pieces. These tunes would have been known to the congregation, and they would have sung them. They, they were you know, they were congregational hymns. That's right. They would have known uh, the tunes for sure. The har- harmonizations might have been new to them, but one imagines not everybody would have been totally wise to that um i'm not sure i'm happy to be um educated on this i'm not sure if the congregation would have sung along during the passion performances themselves but they certainly would have known 
um, known the tunes and they also would have recognised not just the musical material but the form of a of a chorale as a, a point of collective reflection and collective prayer which I think is a really important like I say brick in the in the construction of these pieces the more I do these pieces the more I find the chorales the sort of beating heart of them I used to find they really boring to rehearse <laughs> but the the texts are the wonderful texts and also this sense that individuals come together so they're sort of like an aria but for for the whole ensemble because of course the orchestra plays as well yeah and often we we try and get the orchestra to sing along as well so that there's a real sense of sympathetic resonance of the chorales within the musicians so the melodies are familiar to them the subjects of what the what the chorales are are about and what they represent i mean you mentioned earlier that you know for some of the congregation a two-hour performance of a piece of music, they'd have been drifting off. These chorales would actually have drawn them back into the present. That's a really good point, yeah, exactly. Because the, the, the Matthew particularly is long. That's almost the main thing about it. I'm sure it's, it's absolutely deliberate. But it is a long time. And of course, add in the fact that you have, between part one and part two of, of these settings, you have a long, hour-long probably sermon by the preacher. And the preacher's in front of the congregation, the musician's in the... Thomas Kircher behind mm-hmm. so there's a slight sense that the music arrives in a different way to the to the word um that the, the words that the preacher says uh, but yeah it's a long time and, and I think these chorales are part of his pacing of the narrative in a way that allows allows the story to always come back to the listener to the congregation And there, slightly cruelly, we must leave this episode. Nicholas Neyman conclude their Bach Passion Chat next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just before you go, another reminder to try listening on Patreon, which costs just a few pounds per month. Or, if you prefer, you can very simply make a one-off donation. You can actually do either via coralchihuahua.com. Thanks.